Well, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 13 and following tonight. I know it's several verses. Leslie's already uh, warned me a little bit in her loving way. She has warned me about covering these verses in too lengthy of a way tonight. Um, but I want us to be able to look just a minute at a missionary strategy. Yeah, sometimes uh, we get kind of caught up in the verses at hand and we forget about being a part of this overall goal that God has, this overall mission that God has. Now, I'm one of these individuals, you can tell by now, that I like to take verses and like just to work through verse by verse. And that's the way, first of all, I was taught when I came up and the way um, my preachers preached and, and also felt convicted about this in seminary that as I would uh, preach in such a way, as I was able to take the verses and explain what they meant, that the verses, which we believe to be inspired, right, God's Word, authoritative, that somehow when you take those verses and you explain what they say, they carry with them authority that was far above myself. In other words, that that power can, can hit and touch an individual much better than any kind of special little moral truth that I had. And God uses his word, and I love to do that. But sometimes we do forget about the big picture. And So I was sitting and reading through these verses again this afternoon, and I thought, you know what? This morning we talked about Abram. We talked about all the way back in Genesis how God was speaking to this man to, to really bring forth this nation in which he was going to bless the whole world. I mean, even then, and, you, and certainly you could back it up to the creation and God's plan, and you, you could even go back farther. But to me, I just stop, and, and I am so grateful that our God above is a purposeful God, a God with a plan, a God that knows what he's doing, a God with a strategy to reach the nations. And he's been providentially, he has been purposefully working this whole time. We're not a God that just reacts to the news of the day. We are a God that is planned for the news of the day. And that is such a comfort for me. And it reminds me that God is going to continue to work in this salvation process and that he's asked us to come along to be a part, to be a part of that mission, to be a part of declaring his good news. And Paul, well, can we just admit Paul caught the passion of God. Paul caught the passion of God and he caught the passion for missions. He caught the passion for the gospel and he wanted individuals to hear, to know, and to experience the love of Christ. He wanted them to be transformed by the truth of Christ. And he went on mission. And I think you see a strategy developing. I think you see his, the way he would go into a town and he would purposefully Present the gospel. This is just but one case study, I think, that you can find in the book of Acts of how Paul goes strategically to certain areas to proclaim the gospel. Look in verse 13, and we have Luke recording the mission for us again. And he says to us, Now when Paul and his party set, set sail for, from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, 
return to Jerusalem. Mark that. We'll come back to it at a later point, okay? John, John Mark, leaves them at this point. Verse 14, But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. So get this. They have left uh, this church at Antioch. They're in Syria. Their own mission. They come to another Antioch of Pisidia. And here they have an opportunity to share the gospel. And it says in verse 14 that they go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and they sat down. Andy, do you have my slide for me? Look at Andy. Can everybody clap for Andy tonight? Thank you, Andy. I asked him at the last minute if he just put a couple slides together because I want to just work through this. This is Dr. Ronald Meeks when I was at Blue Mountain College. He looked at me and he said, you know, this is the strategy that you can see that Paul has as he goes into each area. Strategy. What's a strategy? It's his plan. It's his methodology. It's important to have some type of strategy. Now, we recognize that strategies, sometimes they just, as you work through things, the strategy is just adopted. In other words, you go and you do what you're supposed to do and you see how it starts working. And before you know it, you've just adopted a strategy. And I'm not telling you that Paul necessarily had gone in and had worked out all, all seven of these strategies. I know some of you got worried all of a sudden. Seven, seven and 30 minutes. Yes, seven. Seven of them. I don't think he had all of these necessarily fully detailed. But after he gets on mission and they begin to work, he begins to put these things together and he begins to practice these in other areas. It's a strategy. It's important to have some type of strategy. Now, I did not purposely do this today. But, for example, we had a strategic planning meeting of, the Southern, of Temple Baptist Church tonight at 5 o'clock. We talked about strategy and who we are and those kinds of things, just working through these initial steps. Strategy. You like to have a strategy and things that you do in life, perhaps. Some of you. Some of you like to have strategy in, even in your hobbies. Whether it's golf or fishing. Kay Turner, could you talk to us about your strategy of fishing? Some of you may not know this, but she caught one of the largest bass in all of North Louisiana. I'm very proud of her. So much more talented than her husband, Jim. So much. It's nice to have a strategy. A strategy in what you're doing. And Paul develops this strategy. First, what he would do, he would go to a synagogue. Basically, that's what he would do. He would go into a city. He would go to a city. A lot of times, these were the larger cities. Casey, I was working through this this week, and I thought to myself, you know, this is the sin strategy 101 back in the day of the New Testament. I mean, basically what they would do, they would go where the people are and then they would find the people and where they're going to gather. That was Paul's strategy. He would go to the cities. He knew the lostness. And, and at this point, lostness is everywhere, okay? Remember, this, you, you don't have a Christian nation Lostness is everywhere, everywhere they turn, whether they're in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or to the, the uttermost parts of the world, there's lostness. So 
They go strategically to these cities where they know they'll find a lot of people. Because you find more people, you've got a greater success of leading somebody to Christ. And they go to a synagogue. And they begin to speak and preach. Go where the people are. Andy, number two. Let's make people feel better. They go on a Sabbath day. Why they go on a Sabbath day? Because that's when the people would be there. You don't want to show up to the church on necessarily, maybe let's say a Saturday afternoon. Do you know what a lonely place this is around here on Saturday afternoon? Come through. It's rather eerie when no one is here. But you want to go, if the people, if you're going to try to reach people, and that's your strategy, you're going to want to go to the church, but you want to go to the church at the right time, right? For him, he goes to the synagogue, and he goes on the Sabbath day when he knows they're going to be there because he wants to share with people. Number three, some of them think we're getting out by 645 now. Worships with the people. So notice when he goes in, from what we're told, that he sits down and he worships. Verse 15, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying. So in other words, here they are. They're worshiping. They don't go in in the very beginning and say, hey, let me tell you how you're wrong and how we're right. That's not the way he begins this. He just goes in. He finds the people. He goes in and he worships with them. And then number four, he accepts the invitation to preach and teach until he's expelled. We'll get back to that latter part in a moment. He accepts the invitation to preach and teach. And here's where I want to stay for just a few moments. It says in verse 15 that the rulers of the synagogue get up and they say, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Paul knew what a worship service would look like in the synagogue. And he knew there would be an opportunity for him to share. So he goes where the people are, when they're going to meet, and he's going to worship with them. And then at the moment when he has the invitation, he's going to preach. They, they stand up and they say, if anybody has anything to say. Now, I also believe that in some of these cities in particular, when Paul goes into them, he's going to be recognized. I truly believe this because remember Saul had attained some reputation among the Jewish leadership before his his conversion to Paul. A lot of them had esteemed him. He was growing in, and he was rising in the ranks. Remember, he was trying to impress all the leadership. He was going out to he was going out to capture them and imprison these Christians and he was doing everything he could so he had actually made a name for himself and I'm quite convinced in some of these areas they would have recognized him as Saul they would have heard about him from Jerusalem they would have heard about how he had been taught and how he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and how they'd love to hear him preach or teach from my understanding of the New Testament day and the teachers that would come through he would even receive a personal invitation from time to time be like in our churches today. Let's say in our church t- tonight, if I were to look around and I were to see a visiting preacher that would be here with us, at the end of the service, for many years this is the way we did it, it was proper etiquette, that at the end of the service 
you would recognize that pastor and you would maybe ask him to pray. You've been there before. You knew it was going to happen, didn't you, when you saw the preacher walk in? Because it was just, it was just nice to, to offer in such a way. Well, again, Saul being recognized, I believe that there were those moments that were very similar to that. From my understanding, again, of New Testament practices and there in the synagogue, that they would have been able to say, hey, we've got Brother Saul here today. Some of you heard of Brother Saul, had a great ministry. He's done a lot of great things because, again, just hearing bits or pieces, maybe they didn't recognize that he had gone so radical on them. And he, they allowed him to preach. He had the invitation. After the reading of the Law and the Prophets, he was invited to preach. So verse 16, Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Okay, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. With an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. When he had removed him, he raised up for them David as a king to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the son of the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was chosen for many days, or he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses to the, to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus. I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in 
the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Approximately a three-minute message. Not a bad sermon, huh? Probably, thankfully, he does not have, he did not have the Mississippi accent that spoke so slowly. He probably could even do it in two and a half minutes. But what a sermon, huh? What a sermon. Paul had done a quick audience analysis. He looked at his people. He recognized who he was talking to. And he tailored the message. He took the truth. And he tailored that truth to his audience. He knew he could connect. And he knew he could connect with these people. Why? Because... They had a connection in the salvation story. He had a connection with them. He was one of them. He understood ethnically where they had come from, and he understood the promise that had been made, and he also understood that it was through Christ Jesus that the promise had truly been fulfilled. So he found them. He went to where they were. He worshiped with them, and at the appropriate time, he preached. And he preached the message that he knew would connect with the hearers. He connected with them on common ground. Common ground. He appealed to their history. He recognized God's call to Abraham. He recognized how God had worked through the nation, how God had called a king like David, but how God had been working again providentially and purposefully to bring forth the Messiah. He began on that common ground. I say to you that one of the strategies we ought to have in our personal evangelism, our personal witness, is begin on common ground. Find something where you can share with another individual, something that you share in common that you can talk about and somehow, hopefully, that you can take and you can use it for the glory of God. I remember I was growing up and um, when I was growing up, I was basically, I, I did a few things with my dad, but in particular, we always liked quail hunt. Now, I was not a deer hunter at that time. Now, that may surprise you a little bit, but we kind of quail hunted, and that was it. We didn't do a whole lot else, and maybe fished a little bit. And my dad couldn't stand deer hunters. He still can't to this day. I hate to tell you, just didn't like them. I moved down to Picayune, Mississippi. Went out and pastored Pine Grove Baptist Church. Pine Grove is between Picayune and Bogalusa. Right? Very close. That's the reason I always say something about Bogalusa. I live very close to it. And I was there for just a few months, and I realized that if I was going to do any kind of ministry, I better start deer hunting. I'll just be honest with you. I, I resisted for quite a while. I told them I didn't want to get up that early in the morning. I didn't want to sit in that kind of cold. I didn't want to just sit for that long. I'm not a person that likes to just sit. And I protested. When I realized my membership was declining, I decided I would have a change of heart and I would repent of my ways and I would go hunt. So that I could begin. And, and, and it is. It's been an amazing opportunity. Even something like that. Just common ground. 
common practical ground. When I was in Zachary, I went turkey hunting a time or two. I'm not a big turkey hunter, but I went a time or two. I was out turkey hunting up around uh, Clinton, Mississippi, and uh, I mean Clinton, Louisiana. And uh, while I was there, I ran into somebody else in the woods. Well, we were there, and Shannon began to question me and say, have I seen you before? And I said, well, I don't know. And the guy that was with me said, well, you know, he's the pastor at First Baptist Zachary. And he looked at me, Shannon did, and said, you're the pastor at First Baptist Zachary? I mean, the head guy? I mean, and I said, well, I don't know, maybe something like that. Next thing we knew, we were talking about church, some common ground. And he said, you know, I might come see you. And before you know it, in about three weeks, he had joined the church. I told First Baptist Zachary they ought to give me more opportunities to hunt, and I would build a church in a greater way. They never believed me. Just common ground. Common ground can break down a lot of barriers. And begin on common ground even as you witness with people what they enjoy and who they are. And then, and then some common ground, maybe about God. Maybe they believe in a God. That's great. It's not sufficient enough, but it's great. And we'll talk about that belief. Talk about how you would reflect about Jesus' life and who you think Jesus could be. Common ground. Paul went in there and he knew that the that the ground was fertile. He knew that they would sit there and they would amen the first part of this message. He wouldn't have to encourage them. He wouldn't have to ask for amens. He knew that as he talked about God's redemptive history as reflected through Abraham and his family, that they would all be excited about it. But note this. After building the common ground, he spoke the truth. And you hear it repeated, not just once, but you hear him say it again and again that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus was that Messiah. That Jesus was the fulfillment of what God had been doing through the nation of Abraham. That Jesus, that yes, he died as an innocent man, Paul points out. But God had brought him to life. That Jesus was not a dead martyr. He was a living Lord. He spoke that truth. Because that was the truth they needed to hear. And he gave them the opportunity. I love the invitation. I mean, this is a classic message. He comes and he gives them the opportunity. He said, verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through, this, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He said, It is through Jesus and through belief and trust in him that you can have forgiveness. But he also offered them a word of caution. Because he recognized what Habakkuk had said about their unbelief and their propensity toward unbelief. Well, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, 
the Gentiles beg that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Isn't it amazing that when you just do what God calls you to do and begin where you should begin, God opens other doors? (laughs) Strategy is go to the synagogue. And before you know it, he's sharing the truth with Gentiles. How great is our God. How wonderful he is to open such opportunities. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Man, that must have been a revival meeting. Must have been. You you want to talk about a preacher that has a crowd like this where the whole city comes together? To hear the word of God. Mm. There's a message in that one. They didn't come to find out what the preacher could do for them. Or even the ministries the church had for them at that moment. They didn't come to see what they could get out of it physically. Maybe some meal. They came to hear the word of God. How refreshing is that? They came to hear. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. So they are expelled. They hear, they hear the blaspheming, they hear the the rejection. And what do they do? Scripture says they grow more bold in their proclamation. And they recognize what God has called them to do. So they were expelled. They accepted the invitation to preach and teach until they were expelled. And then number five, they take believers out and form a church. Well, it says in verse 48, Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. They began to take out the disciples. They formed a church. They shook off the dust from their feet against them, that is against the Jewish unbelievers, by the way, and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Because they're going to go back then. We'll see that in a moment. But basically what they'll do is they'll form a church. It's just kind of, again... That idea of church planning. You know, we hear it today, and maybe we've heard it more in our Southern Baptist life these days than we did 20 or 30 years ago. But this was a reality for the New Testament believers. They knew when they went into these areas, they had established strong churches. They had preached and they had shared. And it was great for people to come and recognize that Jesus was Lord, but they needed to be able to come together in an assembly, a congregation, a local group of believers so that they could continue to grow and continue to minister to one another. And Andy, 
They organize the church, usually, and then they move on. They organize it, and they move on. They usually, whatever time that they decide, sometimes in different cities you'll find in the book of Acts, sometimes they'll be there a week or so. Sometimes they may be up there for three years, but they'll organize it, and then they'll move on. In verse 7, I mean, number 7, continue to communicate with the church. They take them out, they form believers, they organize it, they get it going, and then they go on and they keep preaching in other areas. Now, I say to you again that when you look at churches like, let's say, um, the church at Thessalonica, isn't it amazing that Paul could stay there basically three Sabbaths and a vibrant, thriving church could come forth in just three weeks' work? Is that not amazing to y'all? I mean, come on. Sometimes staying in a place a year or two, it's difficult to get a viable church plant going. The power of God was being manifest through these disciples' lives. They would see, they would allow the gospel to be experienced, and then they moved on. But they also would come back and they would check on them. They'd check on them. Um, it may be, for example, chapter 14, verse 21, it said, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, that is, as they had continued on, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They came back through. Paul had a way of keeping up with the churches. What would he do? Well, sometimes he'd go visit them. He did do that, and we know that on other missionary journeys, that he'll visit some of the same areas, see how the church is doing. He would pray for them. He's written to us and told us that he would pray for them. And he'd write letters to them. Remember some of those letters you have in the New Testament? They have titles such as First and Second Thessalonians or maybe Philippians or Colossians. What is he doing? He's checking on some of these churches. He's keeping in contact with them, communication with them. Now say again, I'm not sure Paul had all this this seven-prong strategy worked out before he went in to Antioch of Pisidia. I'm not sure he had it all worked out. But after he left, and as he continued in these other areas, that strategy developed. And God used him and this work to effectively bring the gospel to the world, to the Gentiles themselves. I say again, if God can use such human messengers as Paul and Barnabas, and however we like to elevate them And certainly, they deserve all kinds of appreciation and gratitude from us. However we decide to elevate them, may we never forget they are fallen human individuals. Paul would even say, I'm the chief of sinners. God can take them. and He can use them 
as they go into different areas. My friends, God can still use us. He can still use us. He can take us. And may we admit to be imperfect people. He can take us through His power and through the message of the gospel and make a difference. I encourage you to look at this strategy. Maybe when you get home tonight, maybe tomorrow. You may not be called to may not be called to go to India or Los Angeles or Washington, D.C. You may not be called necessarily to do that. Now, some of you are. I believe in this place. Some of you probably are. But all of us have a place in our lives. Workplace, school place, family place, where we can begin where the people are. We can go to where those folks are, where we have the opportunity, the sphere of influence. We don't have to go in as people ready to tell them all that they've done wrong. Just, just wait for the opportunity where God opens. And then be willing to connect with, on common ground with them. But don't forget to declare the truth to them. And allow God's work. Allow God's spirit to be manifest. Not everybody will not everybody will believe. Not everybody will do it. That's the reality. Paul himself, the greatest missionary, faced opposition. But remember, some will. Some will. And that's the reason you keep going. The reason you keep connecting. The reason you keep sharing. The reason you keep supporting. Because those who do experience eternal life in Jesus Christ. One by one, experience the forgiveness and the grace and the life of Christ. Can you imagine? And that's worth it all, isn't it? When one individual comes to know Christ as Savior, may we be committed to the strategy God calls us to in our own personal lives. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We thank you. We praise you. Lord, we especially, we are especially grateful that we can be a part of this redemptive story. God, use Temple Baptist Church. Use the churches of this area, churches in our nation, those who proclaim the good news of Christ daily to make a difference. And use each and every one of us who are here to, Lord, lead others to a saving knowledge of your Son. Until you come, may we be faithful. In Jesus' name.